My name is Allison Sutter, and you're listening to the Accelerate Your Mojo podcast, where you'll learn how to move past the perfectionism and doubt that is stopping you from sharing your high vibration vision and teachings with the world. This podcast is for all you intuitive introverts out there, the light workers, energy healers, empaths, sensitives, and clairsentients who struggle with making the decisions that will move you forward on your journey as a spiritual teacher. Fear is stopping you from creating the experiences you want, but you're sick and tired of the discomfort that comes with holding yourself back and you're ready to make a change. You're ready to make stuff happen for yourself with a lot less struggle and a ton more joy. After seven years in the spiritual and personal development coaching industry, I discovered the secrets to consistently moving away from doubt, limiting beliefs, and fear when they show up. After years of trial and error, I finally figured out how to consistently align with my higher self and trust my intuition, making it so much easier to create the experiences that I desire in real time. I'll tell you all about these secrets and more in this podcast. To enroll in my free AYM introductory class, go to www.allisonsutter.com and be sure to subscribe to this podcast today so you don't miss any of the amazing episodes. This is the Accelerate Your Mojo podcast. And what we're focusing on here are three things. We're focusing on intuition, intuitive guidance, inner voice, moving around fear and doubt when they show up, and connecting to or being and expressing your authentic self. And to me, the words accelerate means to realize sooner, and mojo is that connection. So we're going to talk about all things accelerating mojo-ish. <laughs> and, and I'm doing it a little bit differently because when I connected with you via the whole internet thingy, I was listening to you and I didn't know who you, who you were in terms of labels, right? Like you were a guy in a screen and I just was like, Oh, you know, like I was listening in a way that I don't usually listen. So that inspired me to do this by just introducing you as Daniel or Danny, whatever you prefer. And we're going to talk to you. And at the end, well, I'll do all your accolades and your prizes and your trophies and, and all of that. that you do. It's not even important that you do. Because I like, I like the way you met me more than the way my accolades and bio people meet me. So none of that means anything. Perfect. So let's just talk. Let's talk about, you know, when I emailed you, we said things like listening. And maybe that's what we can start talking about in your perspective and your um, thoughts on that. Because it's in your book. It's, you know, in your aura. Just talk to me about listening, inner listening, outer listening, just listening. I love it. Thank you. First of all, thank you for having me. I, I feel 
I feel honored to be on your show, but I also feel like it's a privilege to get to know you. So I hope this isn't our last conversation. I hope it's our first. Um, when I look around the world, I see there's another pandemic as contagious and as deadly as the coronavirus is not. Coronavirus isn't really that deadly. I mean, there are people that have died from it. I don't mean to demean that point of view. But we're under a virus of lack of listening. We speak and we don't hear. And I just, I had three situations in my life, and maybe we can get into those stories, maybe not. Maybe it's for another day. But there were three situations in my life that actually flipped my whole life around. The first was writing the mosaic. The first was writing the mosaic. The second was my developmentally delayed daughter. And the third was a homeless man I met on the street corners of San Diego. Those three incidences made me realize that the most important thing I could do with my life is learn how to hear what other people are saying. Learn how to hear what my own voice is saying. We don't even listen to ourselves. I wasn't listening to myself. And I'd spent 45 years meditating. And I thought that I was listening to myself. But I wasn't listening to, I listened to 95% of what I said. But that other 5%, I didn't want to hear. And I just kept rebelling against it, fighting it, putting it aside, saying, no, that's not really real. Until we really listen and figure out a way to hear those things that we can't hear. Until we realize everything in the world is talking to us, our businesses are talking to us, our children are talking to us, our environment is talking to us, our soul is talking to us, everything, our relationship is talking to us, the, the, po the politics that we're involved in are talking to us, but they're not necessarily saying what we think they're saying. There's something that they're saying that we can't hear. And if we would hear it, it wouldn't need to go on and get louder and louder and louder and louder. Maybe this is a good time to tell the story of my daughter. Is yeah, that okay? Absolutely. Yes. So I've had the opportunity in my life to be with the richest of the rich, to be at their homes, to sit at their dining room tables, to meet their parents and to play on the floor with their children. I've also had the opportunity to sit on street corners with the poorest of the poor to meet their friends, to meet their families, to listen to them. And in both cases, some of them would be, I would be fortunate enough for them to give me counsel and some of them would ask for my counsel. And I felt so humbled and blessed to be able to offer them my point of view. I've learned from some of the most exclusive people in the, in the world. And yet the one that taught me the most is my daughter. She's developmentally delayed. She doesn't speak like you and I speak. We, she could never have a conversation. She could never be on a podcast. She could never follow through with the train of thought of what, of what someone's asking her. She knows she can say, I'm hungry, or I want this, or I want sushi, or I want whatever. But even the way she says that, most people don't understand. But I'm her dad, and she counts on me to understand her. And surprisingly so, most of the times I do. But Allison, there are times where I simply just can't understand a word she's saying, especially when it's not in the context of what I'm thinking. And so when she, when she speaks and I don't understand her, 
Then she'll say it louder, thinking that I'm getting old and I probably am losing my hearing, which, you know, sometimes she could be right, right? Maybe I just didn't hear it. So when, and sometimes to her credit, when she says it louder, she changes the way she pronounces it because she's now screaming it. And suddenly I do understand it a little bit better, but most times not. But sometimes, yes. So now when she screams it and I still don't understand her, the only thing is then she goes into a tantrum. And the tantrum is now less about me understanding what, her, what she wants to say and more about me understanding the frustration of her not being able to say, communicate to me. And when I don't get that, then she'll run and attack me. She'll try and rip my shirt or bite me. And that went on for a lot of years. And I used to believe that I'm a sensitive man who sort of is able to feel things more than just experience them. And it, 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 it drove me crazy that I couldn't understand her. And so one day in the midst of her rage, she was running to attack me and I just looked at her and I caught her eye. And I said, Elisa, you know I love you more than anything in this world. You know I would do anything for you. You know the most important thing for me is to understand the words that you're saying. I just can't understand you. Will you please try and talk to me in a way that doesn't have words? Her, her rampage stopped. She stopped running. Her rage on her face was replaced by this beautiful smile that seemed to come from deep within her. And she looked at me and she said, I am daddy in perfect English. And I said to her, what the expletive deleted are you talking about? How in the world are you doing that? And she took her finger and she put it to the side of her head. And I said, you little son of a gun, have you been putting thoughts into my head? And she started laughing an uncontrollable laugh that was contagious. And together we laughed for about 20 minutes, which seems like a long time when you're laughing uncontrollably for 20 minutes. And out of that, I realized because she couldn't speak, she was telepathically communicating. And I had heard those thoughts from her, but I just didn't even know that she was capable of thinking those thoughts, let alone telepathically communicating to me. From that day, which was six years ago, She's never yelled, she's never tantrumed, she's never attacked. Because she feels heard. If that would have been the end of that situation, I would have been in bliss. Because now I can tap away, I can tell her, go here, tell me what you're trying to say, let me try and understand it. I don't, not that I get it all the time, you know, sometimes I don't, I don't get it. But still, I have a way of, of, of hearing her now. But Allison, I thought, I got greedy. I said, I don't believe my daughter's that different than anybody else. Because when I looked out in the world, I saw the same modes of behavior. I saw people speak and they don't get heard, they yell. They yell and they don't get heard, they create chaos. They create tantrums. They do stuff to, make, to get attention. That doesn't work, they start to attack. They shoot, a, they shoot up people from a, a, a balcony or a window in a, in a square. They blow up a building. They try and destroy a country. They try and destroy a business, a reputation, a marriage, whatever it is they try and do. And I thought, how cool would this be if my 31-year-old developmentally delayed daughter had single-handedly come up with a solution to all problems, which was just find a way to listen to each other. And so what I decided I wanted to create is a revolution of listening. And you don't have, there's no membership fee to it. There's no, you, there's no organization. You don't have to dress a certain way or, or become a part of some certain religious cult. 
all you have to do is decide everybody has something to say and it's important enough to me that I want to take time to ask you, hey, Allison, how are you? Not as a salutation, but as a, as a moment of really caring how you're doing. And I want to listen to your response and I want to hear you. And when we can have agendaless conversations where I'm not trying to teach you anything or show you something or prove you my point of view, but I'm just trying to be there available to hold the space for you to tell me who you are and what you think and what you believe and what you know. God, you know what might happen? I might just see something I've never seen before. What you tell me might be the piece that makes something that I was thinking was impossible suddenly possible. Because now I see it through a new set of eyes. I come out of my silo of like-minded belief systems and like-minded people, and I open up that silo to a world that walks in a field where people of like minds and unlike minds walk together. And what could we create in that place? What can we innovate? In business, that's how we innovate. In relationships, that's how we innovate. We listen to each other. But I don't see a world that's listening right now. Not that nobody's doing it. There are people that are listening. But I believe it's time to create that revolution of listening because that way is the way we're going to come together. That's the thing that's going to allow sides to come to the middle. Does that make sense? It makes total sense. And I'm just listening. (laughs) And when when I'm listening, what I think Okay, in my world, in the world that I create, what I haven't seen a lot of lately or ever is an individual that I can come to where I pause all of my junk that's going on mentally. And I'm doing that with you. And the thing that I'm, I'm really just literally listening, I'm not thinking of what I want to say next. I'm not thinking of like past things. I'm just present. And as I'm present, the listening part that comes up is both the external and the internal. Like, how do I listen to my inner voice? Because to me, that's my higher self, God, non-physical essence. And that is the thing that is guiding me down the path of least resistance. And so how can I do both? How can I increase my listening of other people? and increase my listening of myself. And I think it's almost when you do one, you do the other almost because it's a pausing of all the chaos and all of the, you know, stuff that goes on in the head. Yeah. I, you know, I wrote this book called the mosaic and what I'm going to talk about now is not what's in the book. The book is really a simple story. It's a beautiful fable about the story of my life about a boy who loses his parents two years apart on the same day. And when he asks the adults where his parents are, they say they're in a place called heaven. And so he sets out in search of that place called heaven. But what I found is a lot of the things that have come from that story for me are not only in the beauty of the story, but they're in the spaces between the words of that story. They're in the listening points between each word. Each, each space is a listening space. And what I realized is that we separate out everything. We make it a higher self and a lower self. We make it, this is, you know, my real voice, not my actual voice. 
And what the mosaic has tried to share with me is that everything that exists is us. There is no higher or lower. There's no, we, we live in a vertical reality, but what if our reality was horizontal and we were just made up of all the pieces that make us up? And when we have all those pieces and we hear all those voices singing like a chorus together, the sound is so much richer than an individual voice of any of the beautiful voices that sing. And that's what a mosaic does. It has, it's full of diversity, different shapes, sizes, colors, uh, you know, materials even. And yet when you put them together, they become this beautiful artistry. And it's bigger and better than anything we could do on our own, not because it's trying to be bigger or better, just because it is bigger and better, because you and me together are more than you and me alone. So that's an internal reality also, that when we listen to the, all of the voices of who we are, there is no higher or lower. There's only just this one voice that sings through many different voices. And when we allow that voice to sing in the way it wants to sing as one united voice singing the same song, we come together with all those pieces. And pardon me, I'm, I'm going to push you a little bit without meaning to push you a little <clears throat> bit. But in that world, there's no need to accelerate anything because everything's already here. True. We're one piece away. We're one connection away from having an entirely new reality. When we see the pieces that surround us are not walls that protect us, but bridges that take us into new pieces of the mosaic, everything in that mosaic is at our, is at our fingertips. Every voice in that mosaic is ours to hear and listen to. Anything we want is available to us with just reaching out and to the next piece behind the piece that's that we feel is blocking us. But it's a bridge. It's a tunnel. It's a doorway. It's anything. And each doorway opens up another doorway and a whole set of doorways. So it's pretty soon we are, we are com completely connected to every piece of that mosaic. And what, what needs to go faster or slower? What needs to be... What needs to be bigger or smaller? We already have it all. Yeah, that's, an, that's a human concept that's hard. The recognition of the two, two sides of things, the, the things you don't appreciate about yourself or your life or your, and the things that you do, the things that f you fear and the things that you love. And it's, we've, it feels like we've put all this judgment on this is good yeah. and this is bad. And totally. I, I want more of this and I don't want that. And Yeah. And as long as we're doing that, we what's the world that we're living in? It's just a, it's a, it's a macrocosm of the microcosm of the, of the way we think in our mind. So if we think divided in our mind that this is good and this is bad, then the people in the world are going to be good and bad. Mm -hmm. But if we no longer allow that reality to exist, I want to love fear and I want to fear love. I want to have that same, that, that unity of that, of that dance of those things. I don't want to get around my fear. I want to love my fear and walk through my fear. I want to sit with it and incorporate it and, and, and ask it, what are you trying to tell me when, you're, when I'm scared of you, when you're putting fear there? What is it you want me to hear so that you don't need to exasperate it and make it louder and louder? My daughter's story, speak, yell, tantrum, attack. That's what my fear does to me. It speaks. If I don't hear it, it yells. If I don't hear it, it tantrums and then it attacks. 
So if I keep trying to get around it, it'll keep coming at me. And I know I'm pushing concepts of yours that are part of you believe in, but I love that. I'm not saying I'm right. I'm just, I just want to invite another perspective into the world of perspective. Because for me, the moment of heaven that I found was not some place where a guy with a longer beard than mine, who looked a lot better than I and was a lot more holy than I, was sitting there on a chair deciding who comes in and who doesn't. It was that moment where my perspective completely changed, where I saw this thing always the way I saw this thing. And it could never be anything other than that. And then that moment where it suddenly became something completely different. Mm -hmm. And I saw that in every person that I met along the way, because when Mo went out in search of heaven, he didn't find the, the rabbis and the ministers and the priests and the shamans and the swamis and the gurus. He found common ordinary people, a road worker and a homeless man, a trash man and a, and a juice man. And he wondered, why am I sitting with these people? And he sat and he said, you're here, sit with them and listen to them. And in listening to him, he saw that they were completely different than the first impression he had of them. Not because they changed, but because his perspective of them changed from just hearing them. How would, our, how would that be for us if our impressions of those people who love Trump or hate Trump, whichever side of the, of the, the cataclysm we're on, suddenly became a middle where we didn't care whether they loved him or hated him. We cared what they believed in. We cared what is it you really want and what is it that I really want? And how do we, like a mosaic, a mosaic, sometimes it's just the very smallest tip of one corner connects with the very smallest tip of another, but it's enough of a connection to make it whole. Mm-hmm. We don't have to agree on everything. We just have to find the place we agree and allow that, that similarity of that one place to just spread throughout the whole mosaic because every piece is connected. But the more we separate it out and, and, and put sides to it, even in our own bodies, this is a good thought, this is a bad thought, this is the way I want to be, this is what I don't want to be. When we do that, we destroy the unity of who we are. We are a mosaic made of beautiful pieces and dark pieces, great ugly pieces and great pieces. All of it's us. And every single piece has its place in our mosaic. Yeah, that's a, that's a, a very filling concept. It feels like a very wholesome, <laughs> yeah. wholesome concept. <laughs> yeah, and it's simple. We see it in the artistry of a mosaic. Like if, it, if we can see it in its artistry and appreciate the diversity of shapes and sizes and colors and origins of, of, of location, why can't we see it in the life that we're living in the mosaic of our life that is just as beautiful? Well, it's part of the, that's one of the reasons I wanted to wait until the end to, to talk about, you know, the things that you've done in your life, because I don't want that to get in the way of just the receiving of the conversation of the words of the energy and feeling it? How am I receiving it? How is it landing on me? Are there things I want to change? Do I like this? You know, can I, can I love the things I don't like? And, you know, and and all that big ball of stuff. (laughs) When, when, for me, at 
least. And I can only talk about me. I don't mean it in a narcissistic way, but I have no authority to talk about what it is for anybody else. I can just say mine. And if it relates, that's why a story is such a beautiful thing to tell because a story doesn't try and teach anybody. It just tries to relate a story. For me, that beautiful glump of stuff, when it went from an obstruction to a intoxication, that moment for me was when my life changed around because I saw that, that none of this stuff is getting in my way. It's all an opportunity for me to embrace something that I didn't want to ever embrace before. And how do we do that? To me, that's why the revolution of listening is so important. We have to listen to all of it. We have to hear all of it. We have to, we don't have to agree. No one in my 65 years of life has ever said to me, Danny, you need to agree with me. But when they felt loved and accepted, listened to and heard, acknowledged and validated, they were fine with me making decisions that went not in their way. If they were going to blow up a building, it wasn't going to be mine because they felt like I got them. And I don't think we need to blow up buildings anymore. If we could just simply do, it's so simple to just love you and accept you. There's not, that's not hard. It's not hard to listen to people and hear them. It's not hard to say, I hear everything you're saying and I want to validate that that's what you're saying. And how about this? Like, what do you think about this? How cool is that? And we can have a conversation where you hear me and I hear you and we don't have to agree. It's beautiful not to agree. And it's beautiful to agree. Yeah. You know, speaking of agreeing, I, I love the story that you wrote. I agree that it is a, <laughs> it's a beautiful book. I have it. I started reading it. And I personally want to hear more about which parts, you know, that you actually lived just briefly, you know, the kinds of things that, because I do want to write a fiction story one day. And I look right. a lot to the, to the show, don't tell perspective and don't yeah. teach the reader, but offer the reader ideas. And so I'm exploring those. And I kind of want to hear you know, what are the direct experiences that you put into that versus, you know, the other stuff you'd kind of imagined? I, I love that question. Thank you so much for that. And I might, it might surprise you, my answer. Because every one of those characters I've met in real life. And so I told the story of them in a fabulized version. And I thought it would take me about six or eight weeks to do it. Two and a half years, almost three years into it. The book still wasn't done because every time I would write something and I would write about a character and it was, I, I felt like this is good. I finally got to them to say exactly what I want them to say, exactly what I intended it to be. I feel like it's there. I would wake up in the morning and the file wasn't saved or the file had become corrupted or I had lost everything on my computer and got everything back except my book file. And I literally was going crazy. You can ask my wife. I was up at three o'clock in the morning, two o'clock in the morning, writing to try and recapture it because I didn't want to let it get away. Until finally I sat and I said, hold it. This whole book is about nothing as, as it seems. I'm looking at it as it seems. What would happen? What am I trying to be shown here? And I heard the characters in my books say, you're not listening to us. We don't want to say what you're telling us to say. And I said, I'm sorry, guys, with all due respect, 
you're my characters. You're not even real people. I made you up. I have the right to say what I want you to say, don't I? I'm the author. I'm the author, for God's sake. Like, this is my book. You're my character. I have the, I have the option to say what I want you to say. And they said, once you gave us life, you no longer have that option. You have to listen to us. If you don't listen to us, you'll go on three or four or five more years, just like you're going on, and you won't ever get it done. If you listen to us, you'll be done in 30 days. I said, deal. Just tell me what you want to say, deal. Allison, I am not the person the mosaic puts me as. At least I wasn't that person. The voice and the feeling of the mosaic is so much more gentle than I am, is so much more simple than I am, is so much more loving and caring than I am. And they didn't want to be my voice over their voice. They wanted me to hear their voice so that I could hear, so that they could actually give me something as a gift in being in part of this book. And so what I would really encourage anybody who's listening, if you want to write, if you're in business, if you're in a relationship, take time to step away what, from what you're saying and take time to listen to what's being said to you. If characters that I made up that have no reality except in, the, in what I created on a page can have a voice so strong that it actually corrupts my book from being written, then what about your business? What about the environment you live in? What about your neighborhood and the people that you come in contact with? What about your social settings? What about the kids that you have? What about the people that you, sit, that you see on the streets? Those characters in the book are just ordinary people, but those aren't the characters of the mosaic. Everybody that we encounter in our world are the characters in the mosaic. Those are just a few examples of what you can see if you actually see the beauty of a person as who he is. I almost want to tell you the story of the trash man just because I, I want people to get the sense of it. I would, I would venture a bet of one penny. <laughs> That most of the people listening here, if their kids told them they wanted to go, they wanted an education, they wanted to learn, they'll do everything their parents want them to do, but they want to become a trash man when it's all over, they would be unhappy with that conclusion. My own parents were. I used to love the trash man. I would sit at four years old and watch the trash man come every Friday. But I realized I'm a trash man. And I realized the trash man that I am is the trash man of the mosaic because Mo's walking along the streets, pristine, clean town, nothing on his back, nothing in his pockets. And suddenly a garbage truck pulls up beside him and says, sir, do you have any trash you want to put in my truck? And Mo looks around and he thinks, what are you, what are you, he's about to say, what are you crazy? I don't have anything on me. There's nothing on the streets. What, why would you stop your truck? How many times has a trash truck stop in front of a person and say, do you have trash you want to put in my truck? It never happened to me before. And he's just about to say, I think, what are you, crazy? There's nothing here. And as he's about to speak, he sees the glimmer in the trash man's eye. And he realizes, hold it, this guy's not talking about physical trash. 
He wants to know if I have something limiting beliefs, if I have points of view, if I have spiritual practices, if I have ideas that are trash that are keeping me from getting to where I'm going. And when I looked down and I saw all that, I said, oh my God, I have so much of that. I'm, I'm, I'm like overwhelmed with how much trash I have. And he parked his truck and he said, that's okay, I'm here. And he came hopping out of his truck with his big, beautiful trash can. And he said, here, put it all in here. And one by one, he allowed everything that caused me pain, everything that caused me suffering, everything that was holding me back, every complication that I had in my life that thought that I wasn't good enough or I couldn't do it, for me to empty that into the trash can. And the compassion of that action was it allowed me to experience for one moment what I was like free of all that garbage. I could get it back. He didn't put it in the truck. I could have it back in a minute. And he said, I can give this back to you or you can put it in the truck, you decide. And they were things that beliefs that I'd held on to for many years. It was hard to give them up and put them in the trash truck. And I said, I don't know yet. And he said, that's okay, the, the can's here. I come every week and I can pick it up next week if you want. And finally, towards the end of his stay with me, I said, no, let's put it in the truck. And he said, the secret is you can recreate it in a second anyway if you want it. So you don't need to take it, take the old trash. You'll recreate the same thoughts if you don't, if you don't want to, if you don't want to. But I want you to feel how beautiful it feels not to have that garbage inside you. That's what I do for people. I hold the space for them to empty everything that causes them pain and suffering and to just be rid of it for one moment so that they can see who they are without that trash. If my son would say to me today, Danny, I want to become a trash man. I would invest every last dollar I had in helping him to become that trash man without a doubt. That's one of about 20 characters in the book. I love it. It's great. I mean, I just, it's definitely a story that you can just, I mean, I had the fire going, I had a blanket. I had some, I, I actually put on some headphones just to cancel out the family it. sound and just have like a connection with the, because it's, it's a very simple but layered story. Very. You know, you very. can extract from it what you need in the moment and when I read it again, I'll extract something different because like you said, the story is the same, but I'm different. Yeah, I love that. I love that. Thank you so much for those kind words that you say about it because that's exactly what it is. And I wanted the book, even when you just held it in your hand, you didn't even have to read it. You just held it in your hand. I wanted it to feel, so I wanted people to feel something from it because what we have to understand is the words that we speak are only words. Like even in this conversation, When I was given the commission of starting a revolution of listening, I went to my beloved, my creator, my God, my, 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 my all. And I said, oh my God, you must be really desperate to pick me out of all the people in the world to start a revolution of listening. I like talk all the time. Like what in the hell? Can't you find anybody that listens better than me to do this? And they said, Danny, we want you for two reasons. One is because you need to learn how to listen. We're not doing it because you know how to. 
And two, it's because you have this beautiful ability to capture a person's mind in the, in the elegance of your, of your words. There's a simplicity to your words that gets people's mind occupied. <clears throat> Fear operates in the mind and lives in the mind. And so when you can occupy the mind in the stories that you tell, it allows your heart to actually connect to their heart. It allows your soul to actually connect to their soul without the interference of fear. Like, what's going on here with the mind coming in? Stop, we can't do this, right? And it's not hypnotism, and it's not, it's not voodoo, and it's not anything like that. It's just the simple practice that we've forgotten of a heart loving another heart, of a soul loving another soul, without the chatter of the mind saying, no, that's not possible, I don't know you. How can I feel so much for you when I don't even know you? I haven't ever met you. I haven't. And that's why I love your email, because somehow... You said in just listening to someone else's podcast that I wanted to listen to her. I, saw, I found I was, I was just listening to your words and then they came through to me somehow. And, and I thought how beautiful that you would be that type of person that would be able to feel and hear that. That's why I, I was excited to come on to your podcast. Oh, thanks. You know, it's funny when, you, when you're talking to him, thinking about, because I am a, I'm a word person myself. I love to write and I love, it's not even the outcome, it's the process of writing that I love and the expression of it. And words themselves, we're talking about like the light and the dark and the fear and the love. Words themselves can't become words without the spaces, even the spaces between the words or the spaces between the letters. So when you read a book, any book, it's, it's, or anything, like literally a calendar, a note, you can be constantly reminded that you can't have one without the other because without the white space, you know, the black space doesn't make sense and vice versa. You can't, it's, you know, when I, when I thought about that for the first time ever, it's like, well, a sentence isn't a sentence without the space between. Yeah. It's I'm like, that's I, so cool. <laughs> and I, I so love that. And those would be words that I would say right out of my own mouth. And I agree. I couldn't agree with you more. So now take that and come back full circle to the start way we started out our conversation. We would also not be ourselves, the light that we are without the darkness that we have. It all comes together to tell our story. And when we try and negate one or get around one or go past one, it makes our story just less important and less valuable and less rich than when we tell the whole story of who we are. As, as a whole united mosaic. Yeah, I was listening Space to one teacher. Words. I was listening to a teacher once talk to an individual and he was like, I don't understand how, you know, my, I think he had physical pain or it was something to do with maybe skin where, you know, he's like, I need to get rid of this physical ailment before I can be and then fill in the blank, right? Happy right. or whatever. And the teacher was like, well, would you just consider this, you know, would you have pursued the path you have pursued without that? Can you look at that ailment in quotes, you know, air quotes that you think shouldn't be there and appreciate how it is there to lead you on the path that you, you know, that gives you the passion to pursue the kinds of things that you're pursuing. And it, it took him a little while. He was kind of rattled, like, wait, you know, you mean I can appreciate this thing that I call negative or irritating or painful or I can't live completely until I get rid of this. It was a complete shift in perspective. 
And I love those because it is about the wholeness. It's about the light and the dark. It's about both pieces and it's about relativity. It's about relationships because one isn't the other without the other. Yeah. You can't have the cognitive awareness that one is one without the other. You, it just doesn't exist. So. So, so let me play a little game with you. Not a game, but a mind game, okay? So when you make that shift in consciousness that we couldn't be who we are without the pain that got us to where we are, then shift it around and, and imagine that the pain on its own is who we is actually the glory of who we are mm-hmm. and the glory of who we are couldn't be how it is without experiencing some of the joy of life as well and play your life from that perspective also because it's so easy to sort of and I'm not saying you're, you're doing this, but I did this in my life. It's Pollyannish everything by saying, oh, I see why I had to go through that pain because it brought me to this place where I'm now this person, this person that I like being. Well, yeah, that's one level of it. But there's a whole nother level to that pain that we, if we listen to it, that is our story, that is our fiber, that is, a, that is what connects us to every single being in the world, every, every adamant and inhabitant object goes through exactly that same moment. And what would that pain be trying to say to me? What would I feel if I could feel it? And then once I feel it, how do I expand the space that it's in so that it doesn't have the impact that it used to have? Like if you take a vial, if you take a dropper full of of purple dye and you put it into a glass of water, it makes the glass the water in the glass, purple. But if you take that same dropper full of purple dye and you put it in the ocean, it doesn't seem to make the ocean anything but what it is. Mm-hmm. So how do we create the space around us that negative and positive no longer exist? That they are just all contributions to this beautiful thing that is without it changing at all what it is. Does that make sense or am I? It does. Too- I think I think we're on our way. I think, you know, we're moving through space and time and and we're all kind of looking through these different perspectives. But I think, you know, as we move through time and space, we are definitely moving in that direction. I, I can, love that. I can feel it. Yeah, me too. Well, thank you for being my um co partner in the garbage <laughs> delivery service today. <laughs> it's an honor. I would happily co-partner with you anywhere you want to go. Okay. Well, we will uh, we'll wrap it up and leave that sort of sensation where it is, that love, that everything that goes with it, the whole ball of wax. And uh, we'll let our listeners comment and connect and, and let us know what they're thinking. Thank you so much for having me here. I really appreciate getting to know your perspective, getting to hear how you think. And I'd like more of that, to be honest. Awesome. We can do that. Cool. (laughs) See you next time. My guest today was Daniel Bruce Levin. Daniel walked away from the opportunity to run a multi-billion dollar company to hitchhike around the world to find happiness and inner peace. He studied for five years in a seminary and left one day before being ordained. And he's also lived as a monk in a monastery for 10 years. 
Daniel led the growth of Hay House from 3 million a year in sales to 100 million a year in sales. He is absolutely the rare blend of a businessman and a mystic who loves to share the gift of connection and the power of listening with people all around the world. Thank you, Daniel, for being part of my podcast today. You can find out more about Daniel at danielbrucelevin.com, themosaiconline.com, themosaicpodcast.com, and more. I'll leave all of this in the show notes. Please connect with Daniel if you feel inspired too, if you feel some sort of connection with him. He's an amazing individual. Thanks for listening to today's episode. To enroll in my free AYM introductory class, go to www.allisonsutter.com and be sure to subscribe and rate this podcast if you love what you're learning.